Alistair, lovely to see you. Mel, as always, hey. my co-host. What a joy. And Hilary's now back. Hi. What a delight to have all of you discussing codependency tonight. Something that all of us know very little about. <laughs> that was a joke. That's why I'm laughing, Lou. That's why I'm yeah. laughing. I, I, I think I put in my post earlier <laughs> that in my old days at the Priory, we had a quiz on codependency. I'm not sure if I've shared this with any of you. And you had to go through a number of questions. And unfortunately, I came out as chronic. So chronic codependent. There's me fessing up at the beginning. Yeah. Alistair? Would you like to just say a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. I'm Alistair Richardson. I specialise in treating addiction and trauma and codependency, which we're going to be discussing today. And, you know, I use energy psychology with that as well. But I'm also in recovery from addiction and codependency. So it's also a personal thing, not just professional for me. Lovely. And lovely to have you with us in the group. And um, I'll just say I've spent the last three days or three days last week with Alistair doing some amazing EFT tapping training. So thank you for that. It was thank excellent. Hilary, you're back. Is there something yeah, interesting I, underneath uh, the desk? I have, I have battery issues. I, I'm not oh, sure. No. I've, got a, I've got a new laptop, so I'm, I'm a bit all over the place with it, but... Hopefully you can hear me. Yes. And thank you for inviting well. me to be here um, this evening. I I was saying to you earlier, I, I actually um, really found out about codependency through um, my own sort of self-development, really. And uh, in about 1997, I started going to Codependence Anonymous, which is a mutual help group. Um, and uh, I didn't really know anything about it then. And... Uh, I um, I wasn't a, a counsellor at the time, so uh, I, I just didn't know anything about anything. So that was my start. And when I became a counsellor, um, I did lots of training, but I heard about um, Pia's, Pia Melody's work with Codependence, and I'd read a lot of her books in America, and she was doing something at the Meadows called post-induction therapy training. So I was lucky enough to go out there in 2006 and bring back her work really it's called survivors at the meadows and we bought a sort of our version of it at the priory and i ended up working with alistair there which was brilliant and uh, we went on to do our own workshops outside externally and uh, it's very much part of my work it, it's it's part of my life really in the way i live but it's it's also part of my work so uh, i'm i'm uh, a big fan of recovery for codependence. It's a, it's it's a sort of a, quite a hidden uh, and you know very problematic um, uh, you know set of uh, issues to to deal with. So I hope I can be of some help tonight. Well, I'm sure you both will be, and Mel and I are delighted that you've joined us. I mean. Um, both of you are, are, are legendary, I would say, in the field of addiction and codependency recovery. And I've known about you for a very long time. So I'm just really grateful for you giving up your time tonight and coming into the group and hopefully shedding some light 
um, for others that know less about it, what it is really, maybe that's a good place for us all to start. What is codependency? What do we mean by it? Who, who, uh, who wants to go first? Alistair, maybe? Sure. So codependency for me, I, I normally say it's a dysfunctional relationship with yourself and others caused by childhood trauma, relational trauma, dysfunctional parenting and abuse. Now, a dysfunctional relationship with self. So it's, it's, a, it's a healing and reparenting model, you know, what I do post-induction therapy. So affirming a child is functional parenting, criticising and attacking a child is dysfunctional. So a dysfunctional relationship with myself, I'll be criticising and attacking myself rather than being able to affirm myself. Abandoning and neglecting a child is dysfunctional parenting. Nurturing the child is functional. So again, do I, can I nurture myself or do I abandon and neglect myself? Okay. And then can I set myself healthy limits or, or do I indulge? Again, so that's why I ask people to find out if they're codependent. Do you criticise yourself too much? Do you indulge? Do you abandon and neglect yourself? So that's, you know, my first response to that. Okay, yeah. so that, that's what codependency is for you. Hilary, would you agree? Does it mean the similar for you or have you got a slightly different oh, definition? Yes, I do. Um, yes, I agree with Alistair. Um, you know, uh, there's so many ways to describe this. And uh, if you Google it, um, you know, there's hundreds of definitions. I tend to stick with what Pia Melody says about it because I, I did most of my training with her. And, you know, it's, it's a bit strong to say the word disorder, but uh, she describes it as a developmental disorder of immaturity caused by relational trauma. And it has five primary symptoms, which um, Alistair was talking about. And um, it's, it's sometimes difficult for people to, to think about, um, you know, often people say to me, well, you know, I had a wonderful childhood. But it, there's often, you know, difficulties going on in, in the family because the parents are immature and they, they really haven't got the skills to parent correctly and it, it causes all sorts of problems. So when I, when I say to people I work as a, an addiction and trauma therapist and I say the word trauma, they, they think of very abject abuse and sometimes it is that but sometimes it's very covert and hidden and that is it's more difficult for the person that has those symptoms mm -hmm. to understand that something's happened to them and uh, we were talking earlier and Mel was talking about the codependency and the counterdependency and so there's there there are people who are very um who you know are under functioning uh, and feel very less than and there are people who are very over functioning and who are very better than them are quite sort of arrogant and grandiose and judgmental. And they're very often the people that don't think they've got anything wrong with them. They don't think they're immature, but actually they're, they're operating somewhere between about seven years old and, and 12 year old. They, they might be very intellectually bright, but they're, they're really immature. And that's because they've had immature parents. Yeah. Um, and so it really, really comes about codependency, the survival traits, the dysfunctional symptoms are, are because they've come from a, a dysfunctional home. OK, OK. Mel, have you got anything to add to that that you want to say at this point? 
Yeah, I think, um, I mean, codependency has been, I mean, it was, it was a revelation for me when I found out about codependency, I have to say. Um, nah. and it was kind of one of those really bittersweet moments where I was like, oh my God. And then I was like, hallelujah. You know, it was <laughs> finally, I sort yeah. of makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of understood so much more about why I struggled not just in romantic relationships, but the relationships that I had with my family, why I was kind of crashing up against this, this feeling all the time of, you know, for me, my codependency comes in the form of needing to please, needing to um, make sure everybody is okay. You know, it's that whole, you're okay if I, I'm okay if you're okay. Um, you know, that's one of the, the big ways that I describe codependency when I'm working with clients is, you know, if you're, if, I, if you're okay, I'm okay. And I can't be okay if you're not okay. Um, and that's very much how my codependency plays out, that need to be the perfect daughter, partner, friend. Um, and it's kind of a bit like, Sometimes I liken it to the to superhero um, tendencies, but I don't have this or I didn't have what I needed to, to kind of refuel when I was going out and saving the world. So there was me with my cape on going out and trying to save the world, but having nothing to fill my own tank up. So I would end up burning, crashing and actually really, really resentful, not understanding why people weren't doing the same for me as I was doing for them. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, a little bit about how, you know, I see codependency because that's how it played out for me. Um, so, yeah, so that that's a bit about my experience. I just wanted to, sorry, say very quickly, um, um, Oriel has asked a question in the group and we will come back to questions at the end. Oriel, so please don't think we're ignoring you. I've seen it. I've acknowledged it. And we will come back to questions a little bit later. Okay, so we've started on the symptoms of codependency, but can we elaborate a bit more on some of the symptoms? Like, how do we know that we're codependent? What are some of the warning signs, would you say? Want to go first, Alistair? Okay, so self-esteem issues, so either feeling less than others, worthless, or better than others, which makes people very controlling of other people. Either they're controlling in a dominant way so they feel valuable enough like you have to see me the way I want you to so I feel good enough or submissively controlling so people pleasing covert you know I'll change myself to keep you happy so you love me so I feel valuable enough whereas really we're looking for healing in terms of inherent worth you know I have inherent worth it cannot be raised by my strengths or lows you know by my defects of character you know problems with boundaries protect self-protection and being offensive to others. You know, problems with knowing and expressing your thoughts and feelings in a reality in a way that doesn't overwhelm other people. You know, not, you know, not having walls between you and other people. Uh, difficulty with self-care. Uh, so either no, not asking for help when you really need help and you know you need help or being too needy and dependent on others like you're a little child still. Yeah. Or uh, the other one escapes me right now. I'm sure Hilary will mention it in a minute. And, you know, difficulty with moderation and containment. So being able to be spontaneous and open, but also with moderation and knowing how you're affecting other people. Yeah, so, so they're the main core issues. And it just damages intimacy in relationships. You know, it causes yeah. dishonesty. 
Uh, it causes people to be either too enmeshed with people, like I need you too needy or too avoidant of other people. Yeah. Uh, you know, turning to addictions to medicate emotions uh, rather than being able to know and express our needs and wants and things like that. So really damages communication with people. Also a big one, the last one I mentioned for now, is people have a perception of reality, what's going on, which goes through their filters of their beliefs that they've taken on in childhood often, which may be distorted, but go off like, when you ignored me earlier, when you abandoned me, and it's like, well, no, I didn't abandon you. That's not at all what's going on. So, you know, so they're some of the main symptoms. No, brilliant. Okay, I recognise a few of those. Historically, obviously. Um, Hilary, do you want to add anything to that any more that for you? I, I think um, I think uh, Alistair's described it very well. Mm. And but it, it's it's very it's a very difficult thing, um, you know, to to kind of, you know, a lot of people ask that question, you know, how do I know that I'm codependent? And you know, I often get them before they even start working in therapy with me to read Pia Melody's book Facing Codependence because she describes she describes the problems very well both yes. as Alistair says the the very sort of less than boundaryless feeling bad uh very dependent out of control person but also the very uh better than walled in I'm good and perfect um anti-dependent needless wantless um super in control person these, yeah. these are all the symptoms and again it's it's often baffling to people and and one of the biggest signs that i can tell as a sort of test for um whether people have have you know are experiencing symptoms and they don't know what's wrong and they say you know just i just don't really know who i am i feel lost and and I think, you know, I, I've bought my little picture here. I'm sure, I don't know if anybody will be able to see it. There, People that know me will laugh because I always show this little drawing. And, and, and you see, it's like there's, a, there's like a little kid inside you. And then there's a sort of a teenager that, that an adapted child that copes to look after the little one. And usually, usually with the symptoms, people are operating out of these two, not, yes. not their adult, because they don't really know how to be an adult. Yes. And, yeah. the, and the, adapted, the adapted adult child is like a teenager. It's like a teenager who's a fake. And this is why people really aren't connected mm. to themselves. They're just not connected. And that, that really is, for me, a big sign that the person is, is suffering from, you know, these issues from childhood developmental trauma yeah um, I think you know, quite often I I use with people just to, to to get their heads around it to start with you know that that TA model where we've got the functional adult mm. and actually we've got the critical parent and the not okay yeah. child and the critical parent can sometimes be the teenage yeah. part that is like go away you know I don't want you near me yes uh that is adapted to look after that younger part mm. and you know lots of the time are you in that adapted or that teenage or can you bring yourself back to that yeah. real self and often exactly. as, as as we know all of us well i'm sure you spend so much of your time adapting 
as a child to fit in or be a chameleon or please or get love or whatever it is that we're all trying to do that you lose that sense of who you are anyway so some of the fear of recovery of codependency is about bloody hell who am I actually without it you know because you've lost that touch that connection with yourself haven't you and I think for me a really important part of understanding and being able to heal from codependency was the understanding that I could be both that I could be the codependent and I could be the counterdependent and I remember um can't even remember if it was if it was one of you guys when I did the the trauma workshop or whether it was when I was in treatment but somebody um having this really amazing description for me about the counterdependent because what I couldn't understand is why it wasn't good to be the counterdependent like surely you know it's an okay thing to kind of be the one that's you know managing and coping and you know to be seen to be and the way that someone described it to me is that the the codependent is like the the rock almost and the the counterdependent kind of sits on top of the rock and then when the codependent starts to move away from the counterdependent, when they start their healing journey, what then happens is the counterdependent falls flat on their face because they are reliant on the behavior of the codependent to kind of keep their behaviors going. And I, it all that when somebody described it like that to me, that as a counterdependent falling flat, once the, the codependent moves away again, you know, that was another thing that just made so much sense to me. But the, the way I, you know, another way of saying something similar, you know, cause I think we're going to talk about, you know, at some point what is compulsive helping and is it part of codependency? And a guy called Robert Lefebvre first came up with that saying, you know, that description of compulsive helping and he described it as the need to be needed and people are either, you know, doing self-denial, they're helping themselves, other people to their own detriment, or they're dominantly caretaking other people. Now, to me, that's set up in childhood where you might get people in the hero role. So you learn to feel valuable by looking after other people, not mm-hmm. having self-esteem. So at the Priory, literally, people who had that strongly would put them on a helping band sometimes, so they wouldn't even be allowed to open the door for someone. And, and the first thing that, because they're in there adapted when they're doing that hero, rescuing everyone's stuff to make themselves feel valuable. They've got their radar on. So first thing, they'd get angry. Like, what do you mean? It's just common courtesy to open the door for someone. It's good manners and all this stuff. And we wouldn't even let them make a tea for someone. <laughs> they had to ask someone else to make them a tea. But what, what would happen then is they would fall flat on their face. Like you say, they'd go into their wounded child. They'd go into their trauma that that adaptation that that was their way of parenting that or medicating that that they learned to grow up you know so it's functional when they're growing up but when you take that away up comes the wounds you know and and then it's available you know you're available to do the healing there yeah mm-hmm. it's kind of covering the wound isn't it Almost yeah obliterating it yeah yeah so what do we think the causes are of codependency i know we touched on it or hillary touched on it earlier but what, what do we think causes it? Is it, is it immaturely or, or parents with it, developmental issues or addiction or, I mean, it used to be called co-addiction, didn't it, in the early days? And then it became codependency because they, they recognised it was part of the 
addictive process and people that were co-addicts or codependents were normally in relationship with with addicts but what do we think causes it underneath it all what what is relational trauma i guess i'm asking well you know without without talking you know too technically i i, I think it's when the bonding between a parent and a child is, is disrupted or interrupted in some way you know yeah. and and we call it less than nurturing a lot of people freak out when we say abuse because it's often been enmeshing abuse or false empowerment where a child has been put on a pedestal or been made the parent of the family and uh, you know to the child it, it, it all seems rather marvelous but uh, you know, parenting isn't happening at that point and it harms the child. And, you know, mum and dad are there to, um, to help shape the, the, the child into the teen, into the adult. So, so for me, uh, it's, it's a disruption in that bonding. It's a disruption in the parenting. And, you know, it, it fails to, the, the parents fail and I, and Pia Melody always says, you know, sometimes it isn't sort of malicious or intended, um, but but the the child isn't nurtured, isn't esteemed properly, um, and and isn't uh, taught um, limits or boundaries as we call them, yeah. and this causes all sorts of problems. This is this is the 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 you know it's it's the. You know, I, I often meet families and to the outside world, they look absolutely fabulous, you know. Um, sometimes very high profile people, but, um, you know, the family is severely, severely dysfunctional. And, and this, you know, it goes back generationally oftentimes. So that, that's what I think causes codependency. What about and it's not, that? yeah, well, it's not, it's not about blaming parents at all. It's they do the best they can in, in, in almost every case. Yeah. It's just about what's the impact of the parenting. And, you know, it's about truth and love is what Peter Melody says. How can we heal from it, you know? So for example, around emotions, for example, if, if the parents are shut down from their emotions, then they, um, they abandon their child emotionally. How can they nurture their child if they don't know how to feel and express sadness appropriately or functionally? And all of our feelings have a positive purpose, like anger to empower us and maybe protect ourselves, fear to run away, you know, if we need to. So, you know, if, if we're not, or, or if someone's got an addiction in the family or, you know, there's abandonment. And uh, so there's four types of emotion. Let's just say anger as an example. There's our here and now feeling reality, thinking and feeling reality. Then we've got empathy where we can sense other people's emotions, like a mass panic is a kind of heavy example of that, where we get swamped by other people's emotions. Then we've got our inner child feeling. So if I was seven and it wasn't say, you know, I wasn't able to show my emotions for whatever reason, I wasn't nurtured, I'm just gonna suppress them. So they're still in there as an adult until I do some sort of healing around that. So I, something happens now, I might feel like, like seven-year-old me again, I've regressed. So I've got my adult feelings, my little seven-year-old feelings, but the fourth one is called a carried emotion. And this is where the parents are either overindulging in emotion, like they're raging or they're suppressing anger, they're weeping all the time, or they're never, they're never sad in their house, you know, or they're shameless. They don't feel any shame or guilt and they never apologize for anything, or they're too filled with that stuff. The child soaks it up, you know, and, and so in the here and now, part of the healing is learning 
what's my feeling in the here and now? What, what's my inner child, child's feeling who needs some help and healing? And what do I need to give back that was never mine, that's come down through the generations as hit a reset, you know? So that, you know, it's the immaturity, it's the parents not knowing how to handle their emotions and, and be nurturing and have that healthy bond, which is, you know, that's what they learned growing up, isn't it? So. You know what, Alistair, you've just sort of triggered that, that memory for me from when I did yours and Hillary's workshop a few years ago. Um, and for me learning what was the carried stuff and what wasn't was such a massive turning point for me in my healing in my recovery and my trauma recovery because when I understood that when I understood that I was you know I was given that stuff it wasn't mine and when I learned a way to be able to give it back um that was instrumental in my recovery it really was Lovely. in my recovery from codependency especially yeah lovely lovely um a question that gets asked quite a lot that I'm going to throw into the mix now is, is codependency a disease? Do you want to go first, Hilary? Well, it, it's, it's not officially recognised by the psychological community um, as a disease. Um, and, you know, in, in, um, in the addiction world, um, you know, I, I often have uh, heated debates with um, professionals um, from other fields. And, you know, I've, I learned, I've learned over the last sort of over 20 years um, that it's best not to get into debates about it. Um, um, you know, I... I um, I rather like to think of it as a disease. And I think in the early literature of, of, of um, Pierre Melody's literature in, in the, that was written in the 70s, um, she, she says that the, um, the core symptoms are the adult manifestation of the disease of codependence. So I, I sort of see addiction as a disease. It, it goes in stages. Um, it's well documented that we sometimes talk in that way um in in addiction treatment and we talk about chemical uh chemical addiction as a disease and i think it's a good model um uh but it's not officially recognized um as a disorder uh or a mental illness um uh, and uh, most people describe it as a rather unique um psychological construct that shares significant overlaps with with other psychiatric problems. Yeah. Um, it usually scares the living, you know, daylights out of people when I say that. Um, so I, I um, you know, I, I try, I've got lots of little sort of ways of describing it to people to try and explain that there's something in them that's, you know, that's, that's broken. And, and if they keep feeding it with the dysfunction in their mind, body, and I believe spirit, they, they get very sick and start to feel like they're dying, you know, and I, I think it's because, um, you know, the person's in survival mode still, their brain's stuck in that child that's still trying to survive. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's uh, it, you know, it gives the person a lack of uh, safety, 
um, they, they feel disconnected, they're suppressing everything. And, you know, healing is the opposite of that. It's presence, connection and attunement. And these are the conditions that a person has to, um, to be in for, for healing to emerge naturally. That's what I believe about the disease of codependence. Okay, what brilliant, because we'll go into the stages of healing in a, in a minute. I'd love mm. to get your thoughts on that. Mm. What, what are your thoughts, Alistair, on the disease? Well, I, I say to people, it's not like a, a physical disease, but it's like a disease, because like, you know, anything that happens up to the age of six, the child has got theta brainwaves going on, you know, so they, they think everything is their fault, They you know, and, th and it allows children to learn a huge amount of information, like learn three languages within two or three years. When you're seven, you can't learn even one more language very easily. So any sort of wound or trauma in that time goes in deep and the belief the person takes on, like I'm worthless or I can't trust anyone, is really strong. And then out of the millions of bits of information we could be aware of in, in one second, you know, which the subconscious mind is aware of, the conscious mind can only focus on about 50 in one second. So we start looking for stuff that fits in with our beliefs. So if I'm worthless, those people laughing over there must be about me, you know, because I'm worthless. So, and I'm not seeing all the rest of the other stuff. So I start finding evidence for what I believe. I create situations then that prove I'm worthless. And then I even start attracting stuff in. So just as an example, I, I had some, I got abandoned as a child quite significantly. I learned to abandon myself looking for love, you know. So the more times I abandon myself thinking I'm worthless and that I've got to not be my real self or I'll be abandoned, it adds to the pool of pain and shame. And, you know, so it gets worse and worse and worse. And, you know, and it does lead people to kill themselves. Often underneath people's addiction is all this codependency stuff you know and and they try and people try and fix it through love addiction and love avoidance sex and love addiction you know if i find this person this finally i found mum who's not going to abandon me you know but i'll abandon myself to keep hold of her you know it causes devastation so it, i i like to say it's the same as a disease but it's not necessarily a disease because it's going to get worse unless you treat it and get help with it i think um, i yeah i think i would say you know, with this word disease and I, you know, working <clears throat> specifically in, you know, the trauma and, and addiction field, it's a, a debate that comes up a lot with, with a lot of this stuff. And, you know, I say to people two things. And one of the ways that I talk about codependency is the same way I talk about addiction, which is it's a manifestation of pain. It's a manifestation of trauma. Um, it, it's something that, that we experience as a result of what has happened to us. But the other thing that I say about this thing, disease, is just think about the word itself, you know, dis-ease, you know, and, and codependency is a feeling of dis-ease, of not being at ease with oneself. So if we literally break it down like that, then it would make sense to call it a disease. Um, and, and I kind of try and, and, and explain it like in, in that way to, to people. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Brilliant. So if you have it, how do you treat it? What are the stages of recovery? Well, let's ask all of you guys first. How, how, when did you know, when did you realise that you had it? And how did you begin your codependency recovery? 
and then maybe we'll move it to clients. But what? how did you find out? When did you know, Hilary? Well, I'd never heard of it. I'd never heard of it, uh, you know. Um, but um, as I say, I... I um, I entered into a few of the uh, 12-step fellowships and I heard this word being kind of banded about a bit. Um, and my sponsor at the time gave me a book to read about it. And I think I read the first page and I burst into tears and uh, put it on top of my microwave for about a year. Um, and then I, I got brave and read it again. And I, I remember crying and crying and crying. And I thought, well, I, I'll have anything else, but I just don't want this, you know. <laughs> and a lot of people snort, uh, sort of snort with laughter about codependency, but it, it was it was only years later when I heard the words childhood trauma and developmental trauma that I thought, gosh, you know, it's a it's a real thing. I was I was sort of relieved really to hear that it came from trauma and that I wasn't just some sort of you know sort of wuss. Um, or sort of arrogant um, hammer flying through the air, and so so it was a it was a relief to find out about it, and and I worked a program of recovery in a twelve step fellowship for quite some time. Um, I I did some therapy, um, but I I have to say it wasn't until I did the survivors work at the meadows as part of my training. That I really got to the to the uh, the depth of the trauma because you know I'm quite good at sort of intellectually you know working my way out of things so um, so I think you know a good support network um, a good therapist who understands trauma many many therapists put trauma training on their website I'm I'm not sure. Uh, you know, look and find out what kind of trauma work they do. It's many and varied. I specialize particularly in Pia Melody's model PIT because it's it's a model that I'm, I'm very comfortable with. But there are many of my fellow professionals, including yourself and Alistair does other uh, types of things and Mel. Um, but I like PIT because you go back and, and take a history of, of what happened to you family of origin debrief um, you do in a child work so I that picture I showed you I externalize those children and work with them talking to them this usually frightens the life out of people when I tell them they're going to do this and you know and then we do trauma reduction work so we bring the the the, the, the people that were um, offenders in in the person's childhood and, and we confront them and give back as Mel was talking about the carried feelings, the carried shame, the trauma, really. Give them back the trauma. Uh, it, it all sounds a bit strange when I describe it like this, but it's a real process. <coughs> and then continued recovery, continued recovery is to continually work. It's very, very simple. Continually work on the primary symptoms and the secondary symptoms. And doing that brings about an ability to have a relationship with self and others and uh, and be open to the universe helping you. Yeah, lovely. Thank you. Alistair? Well, I was working at the Priory North London when Hilary 
David Nadella, you know, started doing the workshops. Hillary was the, you know, the, the real pioneer in, in my eyes and bringing it into this country. And, uh, you know, that's where I started hearing this stuff about the relationship with yourself. You know, I'd had some trauma healing. I've been trying, I tried to heal myself rather than get into, you know, as a way of getting into recovery from addiction that never worked, damn it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and it was there that, you know, I was struggling, you know, with certain addictive behaviors at times when, you know, whether it was overworking or, or whatever. And, and these kind of really experienced therapists who knew about codependency, it's not your addiction recovery that's the issue, it's the codependency stuff, Alison. And then they, they sent me over to the States to train with Pia Melody. She did the work on me in front of 20 therapists. Wow, amazing. And, and then I went on a three-day workshop as well from, from my own healing. And what it, you know, so, you know, because I had such self-esteem issues, uh, I didn't know how critical of myself I was, you know, once when I was, you know, in my early 20s, I, I, I trained to be a Reiki master. And on the way there, I thought, I, you know, I can't be a Reiki master. And I was fully expecting to kind of have a fatal crash on the way there, you know, because surely I couldn't, you know, be, be of worth. And, you know, that's all been he so healed now compared to what it was. Uh, but it's the thing I want to underline is, you know, I, you can have lots of trauma therapy, but if it's not in the context of, a, of your relationship with yourself, a loving, being a loving parent to yourself. And I believe deep down we have a core, a spiritual core that is whole and untarnished or unwounded un by any trauma. And it's kind of connecting to that and healing from that place that it's all about. I'm just so grateful to you, Hilary, and, you know, Pia Melody for bringing the, you know, bringing this to my awareness. And, and now I love, I, you know, like you say, it's ongoing work on my self-esteem issues, my boundary issues, my knowing and expressing my reality in appropriate ways, self-care. And because it's about my relationship with myself and others, it's never a done job because I'm still in relationship with myself and others and the universe or the higher power of, of my, you know, my understanding. Yeah. So, Lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Mel, when did you get the kind of codependent click? Yeah, I think for, for me, again, similar to Hillary, I kind of, I'd heard it being spoken about in kind of 12 step and, um, you know, a bit in therapy and, you know, just sort of, it was just coming as things tend to do when you need to hear about them, kind of coming into, into my awareness. Um, and I then got to, I, I was in a relationship and another relationship that, that broke down horrendously in this kind of really catastrophic manner. And I was in recovery at the time from, I was in addiction recovery at the time. And I think for me, I kind of had to take a step back and go, well, hang on a minute, all these relationships I have that are ending catastrophically and not working out, the common denominator is me, you know, and, and before that, it was kind of like pointing the finger and blaming and looking at where other people had been at fault. And I really just had to take, you know, take that step back and go, no, hang on a sec. I am the one in all these relationships that are failing. And, and then I kind of took it out a little bit further into looking at friendships and, and work relationships and relationships with my family. And I'm going, 
and the penny was dropping you know the penny was dropping more and more and and then I read Pia's book and you know and I, and I sort of said earlier about what my experience was when, when I read that which was this real kind of bittersweet and then I, I did your your workshop Hillary and Alistair's workshop um, which was just you know kind of confirmed even more about you know the, the codependency and for me the one of the the ways in which I started my healing from codependency was um touching on what Alistair said was to work on my relationship with myself you know that absolutely had to be and I that was my focus for I would say for a good three years I stayed out of you know and I'm not saying that this is the way it works for everybody and it, it can't work like this for everybody but I stayed out of romantic relationships for that time I focused very much on myself I addressed a lot of the enmeshment that was going on in my family relationships I put really firm boundaries in place with some of those I looked at my friendships and, and where I was kind of acting out in those or where you know certain friendships weren't serving me and why I was staying in them and I it was a real inward then outward focus um and 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 it's just kind of carried on and you know what I am still really on you know I had a <laughs> I was talking to Lou about this the other day you know I had a big relapse in my codependency last week and and it really affected me um and it kind of crept up on me and it was a, a mixture of lots of things that were going on in my life at that time. So for me, it's it's constantly a work in a work in progress. And, and I the, I think the difference is now is in some ways it's kind of like I in, I know it sounds a bit sadistic, but I kind of enjoy it when it happens in some ways because it reveals another layer to me that needs to be healed. It reveals more to me that I that I want to work on on myself to make things better for me and for those around me. Thank you. Very honest, as always. Thank you. So what's the difference between, co or is there one, or is it the same, of codependency and compulsive helping? Mm. You answer this, Alistair. Well, for me, Compulsive helping describes part of codependency, you know, so the need to be needed, running around helping everyone else to, to, my, to, to your own detriment, uh, self-denial or caretaking others, so you keep people too, too, too dependent on you. For me, that would be the adaptive child in Hillary's drawing there, you know, a survival strategy that someone's learned growing up to uh parent themselves so they feel good enough and valuable you know through other esteem rather than through self-esteem so it's it, yeah i always say it's part of codependency but codependency is much wider than that but uh you know i think that's my answer to be honest that's what i can say no that's a brilliant answer I love that. Let's move on to the next one because that's that's getting into the, the meaty, nitty gritty. How does codependency affect our adult relationships and, and especially our intimacy as well in those relationships, whether it's intimate relationships, I suppose, with friends or intimate relationships with partners? Hilary, I'm going to let you go first on this one. Well, I, I think um, 
Pure Melody writes it very simply, just, just one line. And I, I keep quoting her, you know, I, I mean, you know, my, my supervisor says to me, you, you should say Hilary Betts says that, you know, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I think um, Pia Melody was a, was a real genius, you know, um, she's really up there with the greats for me. And uh, yeah. she, was, she was a massive influence, um, you know, on, on my, on my own sort of journey of healing and on my, um, on my journey as a professional so I, I'm hugely grateful to her and I, I do I do like to quote her a lot and um, you know she she talks about um, intimacy being a difficulty sh sharing who we are with others and hearing who they are and I think that's such a great uh, a great and simple description of it the problem yes. of course we've got our cheesy saying that we normally say and the cheesy saying is into me see you know yes so, so that that I think is is uh, is 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 uh, the difficulty. How it happens is that we're in our survival traits, our dysfunctional survival traits, the core symptoms of codependency, uh, the, the 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 difficulty with the self-esteem, the boundaries, the realities all over the shop, the dependencies all over the shop. We're either a little baby and chaotic, or we're uh, a teenager going around being a control freak and this leads to the secondary symptoms um, and 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 those uh, are um, uh, you know getting into to uh, negative control issues getting into resentment difficulty uh, with um, uh, our, our uh, spirituality we can't ask for help and uh, and and these inti these intimacy issues. These are the secondary symptoms, and of course that causes all sorts of problems with relationships. Yeah. Uh, people get into no negative control battles with each other. You know, there's the the person that's got to be the captain, and and somebody's got to be the subordinate, and and uh, somebody's got to be uh, enmeshed and clinging on to the relationship, and somebody is usually avoiding the relationship um, there's a lack of d in the relationship um, there's a lack of trust in the relationship um, and uh, and and usually uh, you know a lot of intensity drama um, there's there's a there's a new kind of movement in the in the 12-step fellowships at the moment um, there's there's a um, there's there's drama and chaos uh, recovery meetings and I I really like the idea of that I think it's great because you know many people come to me and and and, it, and their relationships read like the script of EastEnders you yeah. know and uh, you know I was caught up in this myself you know in in my own uh, uh, you know uh, quite quite a while back now thankfully past yeah um, but you know my relationships were you know uh, a bit of a disaster area at times very exciting and intense um but it 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 it's it, uh, it, it's uh, it wasn't about intimacy or love or connection or trust or anything like that at all so that that's the trouble that it causes codependency yeah what, whilst you're mentioning drama, whatever mm. happened to the drama triangle? Do you remember the drama Karpman triangle? I do, that, yeah. That used to be yes. quoted and, and around. Often quoted.
quoted, often quoted. Yes, I, I think it's a great part of it, and Pier, Pier Melody teaches it in her in her training and and uh, and in a lot of the work. Uh, it's used in a lot lot of the family work and the addictions and trauma work at, at the meadows for sure nice. and of course it's used in this country uh, across many and uh, I, I think it's very helpful um, of course many people don't understand that there's a reverse to that which is called the Quinby durable triangle or the winner's triangle some people have never heard of it no, um, I haven't. What, uh, what's the winner's yes. triangle? The winner's triangle, well, it, it uses the P of uh, the persecutor is, is to persevere with boundaries. Um, and uh, uh, the V of victim is, um, is be vulnerable, you know, don't, you know, don't be a victim, be vulnerable with boundaries. And the R of the uh, rescuer is is to reach out with boundaries. So it, it's sort of going the opposite of those. I don't tend to work with that so much, um, but I, I do work with um, helping to see that um, people are having relationships like teenagers, really. I, I mean, I work with people who are in their 50s and 60s sometimes. And it's like, you know, it's like a teenager and a seven-year-old and they're, they're trying to have a relationship. So, you know, uh, and this is, and it's only what I have to start with, the basics of understanding um, about boundaries, about respecting boundaries, not just external ones, sexual, physical, but internal boundaries um, and uh, respecting other people's thoughts and what they're saying and and listening to them and trying to get to know them and then you know them practicing listening to me and uh, understanding my reality and just getting to know each other respectfully and with love so that's that's the way that i work today that's lovely because i suppose we can't really talk about um adult relationships and codependency without talking about boundaries and communication Mm. absolutely so, yeah fundamental to all of this really yeah yes. yeah. yeah yeah although much easier said than done for a codependent to communicate easier about said me. Than done, yeah. you know i still you know when i'm setting a boundary with myself or with somebody else wish that i could ring pm melody up and say what do i do because it, it's done sometimes not plumbed in you know yeah 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 just as an aside, where is Pia Melody now? And has she retired? I, I believe she has, yes, yes. But she's still very much part of the Meadows. Is she? Yes, I believe she is. And uh, I know somebody that was there recently and they said that she came into the restaurant at lunchtime oh. and was saying hello to everybody. Oh, so that's amazing. I think yeah. she's still a presence there, but she, she, I think, I believe she's retired now. Yeah. Yes. She's an amazing woman. Mm. Yeah. Alistair, where are you on, on relationships and boundaries and communication? Well, it links in with the intimacy. So we can have intellectual intimacy where we share thoughts and ideas, emotional intimacy where we know and express our feelings and can receive those of others. We've got physical intimacy where we touch. We've got sexual intimacy if it's a sexual relationship. People are often very good at intellectual intimacy, but not very good at emotional intimacy because they don't know their reality if they've been traumatised as a kid. They don't know what they think and feel. Yeah. You know, and that's where we feel connected with people. By the way, spiritual intimacy is sharing that, that part of ourselves as well. 
So if I don't know what I think and feel, I can't have intimacy with you, you know, and, and knowing my reality and, and learning to affirm it, this is what I think, this is what I feel is part of the healing. And that creates the intimacy. And, and, and Pia Melody created the talking, you know, I think she, a lot of her work, she, she got other stuff and put it all together into a model. And some of it was literally, if you read her book, divinely revealed to her. She was hoovering. She'd get these kind of downloads and write it all down. Oh. But uh, the talking that, you know, when you're talking to someone, it, there's a way of doing it called the feedback loop where, you, you know, you start with observable data. This is what I, saw, when, I when I saw you do this, when I, when I heard you say that, then your thoughts, this is what I thought about it. And then what that made me feel. And then this is what I prefer, where I say my wants and needs, you know. So that helps have boundaries. And I'm not blaming anyone. If you, you know, you're not blaming anyone else for your reality when you're doing that. And you can say what you think you need. No, it's no, it's not another adult's job to look at, to, to meet my needs and wants. I could, but I still have every right to say them. But then there's the listening boundary. So if you if you haven't got a, a functional listening boundary, if someone says something to you, it'll have too much impact on you. So the listening boundaries, I'm thinking to myself when you're talking to me, is it true for me what you're saying? Yes or no? Or maybe, do I need more information? You know, so all these things are really important to have intimacy and communication. But really it's about being able to be your authentic self and, and be with someone else. Now, this is me. This is my truth. Speaking the truth without blame or judgment, you know, with, with love. And then be able to receive someone else's truth and to better protect myself. If someone's offensive, then I need to just, you know, you need to protect yourself and get out of there. There's no point in trying to have intimacy with someone who's on that drama triangle. And by the way, the, the one thing about the drama triangle I'd like to say, which I learned from this model, is it's a regression. When people are victimizing others as the persecutor or they're playing the victim role or they're rescuing, they're not being their authentic selves. It's done out of awareness. It's a regression. It's a, actually a type of trauma reaction, you know. So if someone's not willing to get off the triangle, I need to extract myself or my clients need to extract themselves. Yeah. And, and not drop back into it being one of those people in the triads either or in the family too, I guess. Yeah. And doing yeah. those, you know, it's almost like, okay, what you're saying is not acceptable. If you carry on, I'll have to leave. And then the person carries on, then I have to leave. Or maybe they'll say, oh, no, I'm really sorry. I was just really stressed, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mel, have you got anything to add to that? No, I don't think so. I think I'm sort of just looking, sorry, I'm just looking at the, the feed in, in, the, in the Facebook group and just aware that we've got some, some questions here that I think maybe we should. Yeah, go for that. If that's okay yeah. with everybody. Um, so as I said, um, Oriel had a question earlier. She did say that I've kind of answered it. I'm not sure in what part I answered it, um, but I'm pleased I did. But um, I just want, want to read it out anyway, because it might be useful to other people. I think it's quite a good question. And it says, um, I am used to being codependent, but I am now in a really tricky situation where someone is codependent on me. Any tips, as I can see, this will be a real problem when I finally qualify as a counsellor. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think, sorry, just just in, in response to that from me, this is the Oriawas, this is this is what I was talking about, about being able to, to flip between the two, you know, being 
going from being the codependent to the counterdependent, depending on, you know, who it is that you're in relationship with at that time and what is going on for me. It's what's going on internally um, for me in, in, in what ways I, I guess, need to, what survival mode I need to go into, you know, because, for example, my abuse was um you know that there was the 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 covert abuse that I had but I had the over abuse of the sexual abuse but then I had a lot of covert abuse which was very much some of the stuff Alistair was talking about which was the enmeshment the being overloved the, the worship um, and all of that stuff so for me depending on what wound is being triggered or was being triggered would depend on what I would I would go into my codependence or my counterdependence, um, if you like. Um, so, um, and I think really it is about finding that state of interdependence um, for me. That that's what it was about. About being able to actually regulate my nervous system because if I'm going full on into codependency or full on into counterdependency, the reality of it is probably that. I'm in some kind of dysregulation in my nervous system. I'm being triggered. My wounds are being activated. Um, and it's about being able to regulate, come back to myself, come back to that place of regulation and of interdependence and being able to see the reality and being able to switch that prefrontal cortex on and, and, and see the situation rationally. I get it with Aureal. Uh, um if she's still still online and that at the beginning of our journeys when we're training for anybody that's listening that's training as a counselor or a therapist uh, I think I think that codependency needs to be really really sold to counseling trainees so that they all really really understand what it is and how we can recreate it in our clients and what we need to do basically in essence to not keep the codependency going throughout our career as therapists and healers in whatever denomination it is because um, we, we in a way I think can, we need to see our clients as whole, we need to see our clients as well, we need to not want them to need us in a way we need to not be ourselves in our positions as needed you know and some people some I mean you know if I look back honestly to 20 years ago when I started at the Priory oh my god my codependency was horrific so uh, I'm not saying that you have to have completely healed your codependency to get into this industry and become a therapist, but I think you have to be very mindful that you don't, you want your clients or people to attach to you enough that they are doing the neurobiological work that they need for their nervous system, but not so much that they again keep for me the codependent relationship going but now with a therapist mm, I I, that's that. my two pennies Hillary Alistair what do you think on that question and on therapy and training and codependent being codependent therapists do you want to go first Alistair well what I do when there's that, lots of stuff going on like that in the therapeutic relationship I start using that feedback loop with the client and people with a lot of trauma, they literally 
look like a rabbit in the headlights and start sweating because you know they're going one up and one down and having trauma reactions without even really realizing it and i'm asking them okay let's practice having intimacy you know where where you know where we can say okay so when you say that i think you're trying to get me to look after you and i feel anxious about that and what i'd like is for you you know so you're really kind of helping them start to be authentic because when people are being too needy and codependent on me that's an adaptation it's like a younger child them in charge or blended with their with them so it's about helping them know that but obviously if i haven't done any enough healing on myself i might be trying to meet un, unhealed or unmet needs in me by you know having my client really think i'm amazing or something so really need to have my own therapy which i have on and off throughout before through and still you know <laughs> at times yeah thank you I, I think it, it's. Um, I, I agree with everything uh, that that you've said um, so far, all of you. I, I think that working as a trauma therapist with developmental trauma, I'm often with clients who are regressed. They're they're childlike, and I I do um, feel that sort of being a maternal figure and being a kind of good enough mother yeah. uh, to the person in the early stages of their work is, is part of a, a, you know, uh, who I am as a therapist. And I've always tried to be uh, that, that sort of um, loving person for them because they're trusting me hugely yes. to, to come in and, and do this work with me. Often the most horrific things have happened or they feel absolute shame about the way that they've behaved so um so but i i do believe that one has to do this work oneself uh, on a very very deep level to be a good practitioner and uh, rather like lou was saying i i think i was horrifically codependent even though i've sort of been doing recovery you know i i could tell you some really cringy stories um but you know so, um, so you know, it's part of it's part of the the self development as a person and as a therapist. Um, yeah. But it's really important to get. I mean, that's why I I flew to America because I wanted to go and work with the best, so that I could learn about this. In some of Pia Melody's literature, she says when we first start doing this work, and and she says when you first start doing codependence work, it takes one to two years to get the hang of all of this you know way of looking at it so it's it's progress not perfection and she says if we're in our functioning adult 60 to 70 percent of the time we're doing really well but if somebody hasn't has is a therapist and has got untreated codependence then it really really blocks um the whole therapeutic alliance and and it really stops uh recovery happening so I, I do encourage, we, uh, Alistair and I have worked with many therapists um, who've come to us for, you know, just to, to work on this stuff amongst therapists. And, uh, and I believe it's the best work, um, you know, that, that they'll do to be a good resource to their clients. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. 
Mel, what are the other questions that we've got? So we just had, um, Emma was asking, what does inner child work mean? But a lot of the group have come back um, as we've been chatting with some really amazing answers. Um, and I think Emma sort of feels that, that she's been heard here and answered. So Emma, just to say, if you're still unsure, let us know, we can come back to you in the comments if, if you still feel there's anything unanswered, but lots of people have given some really great responses. So we'll say for anybody else that was wondering about, you know, answering that question, um, the, our, our incredible community have, have been really active with, with helping out with that answer. So thank you everybody. Um, and, and Bradley, um, Bradley, John Riddle, Bradley, I just wanted to acknowledge your, your comment here because, you know, I think it's, it's healthy for us to, to have the debate. Um, and, and Bradley's just saying feeling ill at ease in brackets disease is not a disease. Codependency means an over-reliance on something, uh, prototypically someone without proper or any boundaries in place. That's also not a disease. When the obsession or preoccupation with calling things, what's the preoccupation or obsession with calling things diseases? Is this a hangover of 12-step ideology, a kind of agonized misplaced loyalty question mark? Um, so, and, and I think it's an interesting debate. I really, yeah, really do. so do I. Um, yeah. And, and I, I see both sides of it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I completely, you know, there, there were, I've been through, through periods of time where I have cringed when people have called addiction a disease. Yeah. And I've just been like really outwardly vocal about saying, no, it's not. Um, but I think that this is just my very personal opinion um, and I'm you know don't mean to, to offend anybody sometimes I think does it really bloody matter um, I'm sorry to say but I kind of feel a lot of the time like if we just have an understanding of what we're experiencing and we know how to heal it and we find the solution like these debates are important but I don't feel that they're always the most necessary thing to, to discuss. It's kind of like, what's the experience? What's the solution? Does it matter often what's kind of going on in between, you know, those stages of, of is it a disease or is it a disorder or is it, um, that, that's just my two pence worth on that. Well, what I say is if it helps you heal from it to call it a disease, call it a disease. And if it doesn't, call it something else, you know? And if it doesn't help you call it anything, don't call it anything. Yeah. Just, you know, don't call it anything. Do whatever really helps you. And I think, you know, labels, names, you know, sometimes, as we were saying earlier, you know, you have one person that can't bear the codependent name or, or label or hates the word. And another person who, you know, in my history as a therapist, if I've mentioned codependency and they've looked it up have been oh my god thank you that explains a set of behaviors that I had no idea about and I now feel I know I can do something so I'm I'm with I'm with Alistair and Mel actually I think use whatever works for you because we are so individual what 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 works for somebody else is not going to work for us so Bradley if you can't stand the word, don't ever use it. That would be my advice. Hilary, do you have anything to say on that? I, um, I like to tell people about what I believe works. And 
I don't I haven't just read it out of a book I've I've experienced it over the last two decades or more and I've seen other people benefit from it and so that's what I um kind of try and deliver to my clients and yeah. if people don't believe in it then that I don't try and um you know talk them out of it or anything I just got asked people to keep an open mind I have an open mind you know if if um whatever ever model works for someone if it brings them to healing but I don't get into to arguments in front of clients about it or try and put them off a certain model because I don't know I, I it might work for them yeah um, so I've got my own sort of beliefs about the models that I've used over the years and uh, I, I've, I've used them and seen them work with with lots of uh, uh, places that I've worked and you know and, and in America so I've seen the sort of living proof um, that it, that it does work for some people and some people it doesn't work for yeah um, but I, I find sometimes the debate can be very off-putting for people who are desperate and seeking for help so yeah I don't get involved in in arguing about it in front of them yeah, yeah. and on that last point Mel unless we've got some more questions the, right. the last comment really I was gonna make was a little bit on that point Hillary is about people that are desperate although you know when we're at the beginning of our journey or when we're starting codependency recovery where do we look? Where do we go? And how long realistically does it take? <laughs> Not the million dollar question yes. then. Hmm. Alistair, well, what do you think? Oh, sorry. Go on, Hillary, Hillary. Go on, you go first, Alistair. Okay, so, well, I, I think the, I think you're, you know, this Facebook group is a, is a great resource. You know, it's about, you know, finding community, finding a therapist, getting some uh, recommendations of some therapists as well, who, who specialize in treating trauma. I would check out things like Codependence Anonymous or ACA, Adult Children of Alcoholics and or Dysfunctional Families. Yeah. Uh, you know, but the healing, to have a healthy relationship with self, you know there's different stages so there's healing the wounds and then more is revealed so there's there's a memory i've worked on we spoke about this on the weekend i think <laughs> there's a memory i've worked on about 10 times with different trauma healing modalities and recently another bit of it came up which was probably the deepest part of it you know where a belief bomb was formed of all these negative beliefs and you know so it's an ongoing healing process but you know i don't have those horrendous self-esteem issues that I used to have, you know, because I've done enough of the healing work. But so it's a, it doesn't end, I'm afraid, is, yeah. is that bit of the answer, but it gets easier. And, uh, but I can't do it alone. No one can do it alone. We have to be interdependent, you know, so to ask for help and, and get that help. Thank you. Brilliant answer. Hilary? For me, uh... I think the journey began because um, I was at, you know, something that, that people call rock bottom. You know, I, I had, you know, again, another cheesy sort of expression, but it's a, it's a true one. I had the gift of desperation. And, you know, I, 
it, it's interesting how the sort of universe offers up bits and pieces of help from you know uh, various places and I remember watching um, a therapist on TV that was uh, talking about addiction and codependency he was a very famous one was on a breakfast TV show in the in the 80s so um, nowadays if if you're looking for help you know we've got the internet and so many resources and that gift of desperation that rock bottom will help you to educate yourself and and a lot of the meadows and pit model that i use is all about education in the beginning i'm teaching people what what i believe is is at work in them and what needs to happen to recover and i think it takes as long as it takes for me you know i'm i'm still working on myself and working on these issues it really is summed up in in for codependence recovery it, it, it's about growing up and becoming more emotionally mature and spiritually mature and that happens with age and it happens by working on yourself yeah. uh, and being a loving parent to yourself so i can still be teenager hillary i'm nearly 65 you know um, most of the time I'm, I'm, I'm 65, but I, I can regress slightly. It's not, not so bad today, but I, I love it now. It's, it, it's uh, learning to be a grown up has, has been a, a great blessing in my life. And, uh, you know, working with Alistair and uh, seeing him work as, a, as a, a man on his, on these issues, working alongside him and, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. You know, uh, we, we sometimes say doom. It's not all doom, gloom, ginger beer and Jesus. You know, it's been, it's been fun. We have a we have laughter about it. Yeah. Um, but I would say in the beginning, it takes a good couple of years to, you know, really get this under your belt and start benefiting from from, uh, you know, PM, PM Melody's model is a healing and reparenting model. And, and it takes a while to get the hang of that. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Mel, anything to end up with? No, I mean, I would just say, you know, first port of call, read Peer Melodies. Yeah. Think book. Mm. You know, that yeah. for me was, was the real kind of, and then, you know, if you can get a good therapist or do a workshop or, you know, get, but really truthfully, you know, it, whatever way you can find to connect back to your authentic self, this is what I come back to in every aspect of healing, connecting back to yourself so that you can grow in effectiveness in the relationship with yourself before you go and try and experience that outside. Because otherwise you will just continue to, to be triggered and, and, and the wounds will never be healed. It's kind of like, you know, taking the plaster off before your before the, the, the cut is quite healed and it opens up again, you know, go and do that work on you and, and, and give yourself, you know, give yourself that. Lovely. Okay. Anything else to answer or are we, are we okay? All right. Well, from my point of view too, I just want to say thank you to all of you for joining us. And I think it was a brilliant discussion about codependency. And I hope it's really helpful for anybody listening, watching, watching now, watching later, watching wherever you're watching this or hearing us, you know, do, do come into the Trauma Thrivers group, 
Hillary's in there, Alistair's in there, Mel's in there, I'm in there. Um, and I'm sure that you can get in touch with them if you want to do any of their trauma healing workshops. I know if you go to traumathrivers.com and look under recommended therapists, they're all on there. And also at the moment, I'm putting up some retreats and workshops. So I know Alistair's is on there and Hillary's soon to be added. So we're all there if you need anybody reach out and in the meantime have a lovely evening thank you for joining us i really yeah. hope it was helpful and we'll see you next week bye right. take care bye. everybody bye, bye. bye.